All right, let's pray. Father, we long to be in your presence. We're grateful that you told us in your word that we could come into your throne room of grace with confidence that we can receive mercy and help in our time of need. And quite frankly, Holy Spirit, we're always in a time of need. So we ask that you would do what only you can do in this moment, and that you would speak to us by your word and in your power. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. How are you today? Bad. Great. <laughs> Listen, last the past few weeks you've had an excuse because it's been cold, but today it's not cold, so you have to be good, unless you're Ryan Snyder, and then you don't have to be excited that it's, that it's not cold. But uh, he made some outlandish statements to me about enjoying the cold, and I won't have it at Redeemer City Church. <laughs> Kidding. We love everybody here. I want to continue our series in Colossians. If you have a Bible, go to Colossians chapter 1. Go to Colossians chapter 1. And I'm going to make you work a little harder if you're a note taker today. I didn't give you an outline because, honestly, I got so lost in this passage just like as devotions that I didn't really formulate a great outline for you. And uh, so we'll see how that goes. But... Um, This passage is uh, a bombshell when you set it in its context. So last week, if you missed it, you can go online, you can catch up, you can get on iTunes and uh, download it if you want and catch up. We're only on the third part this week, but uh, you should really work through those first parts of chapter one with us um, because what happens is we, we learned about Colossians, and we learned about why the book was written, and then Paul launches into that incredible uh, passage of Scripture about the preeminence of Christ, and really about what this whole series is about, King Jesus, and why that's good news. That's what we talked about last week. So the preeminence of Christ is everything, that in all of your life, not just a little bit, but all of it would be oriented around King Jesus. And so then you move into today's passage And you really get some keys to why we do this thing called church and why you follow Jesus, why you bow the knee to Christ. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. But uh, I want to call this message focused faith. Okay, I want to give you a handle uh, for the rest of what I'm going to talk about. Focused faith. Now, you might be tempted to launch into your inner legalist. And uh, think about all the ways that you can focus about your faith. And uh, in some ways that's okay. But what I want to do is really give you a clear vision of what Christianity is all about. And I think it's going to help somebody today. But think about it. What is focus? What is focus? You ever thought about that? We talk about being focused a lot. I tell my kids a lot of times as they start to wander, focus. And they bring it back. What, what, what is focus? The dictionary defines the word focus as this. And I want to I wanna work in this lane as we go through this passage. Here's what the dictionary defines it in English. Okay, because we're studying in English. 
the center of interest or activity. The center of interest or activity. Now, normally I start with Bible and then we go into everything else. But because we're studying in English, I want you to think about that because that's a very important question for you to consider. If I'm going to do, as last week I suggested, you hang your whole life, you orient your whole life around King Jesus, we have to ask a follow-up question to that, why? Why? And maybe we could ask that in a different way, a more uh, feasible and plausible and palatable way, and say it this way, what is the focus of the Christian life? Ever considered that? You know, a lot of times we just go through the that wherever you find yourself at the end of the day, if you're going to hang everything on it, we need to know what is the center of interest or activity according to Jesus. Why do we do what we do? What is the center of it? Because everything flows from the center. How you define your center affects everything you do. Just think about your normal life. Whatever's most important to you is what you find time for. If you are achievement-driven, you find time to achieve things. If you are wealth-driven, you find ways to build wealth. When you are kid-centered, you find time and ways to Make things happen for your kids. We're, we're good at this subconsciously. Whatever you're passionate about, whatever's at the center of your life, you have time for. You have time for. And so for all of the talk we throw out there about being busy, I get that. But I want to suggest that when you define your center, it can help you make decisions about everything that flows from the center. So what about your faith? What about your faith? What about your Christianity? Uh, What this passage is going to ask is what is a mature Christian? If you're sitting here today, it's probably because you are a follower of Jesus. If you're not, we hope you are by the end of today. But as a Christian... And as one sitting here in church with the people of God, listening to the word of God, what is the center of our faith? What is the focus of our faith, of your faith? What's the center? Why do we do what we do? What's the central activity of that? And so Paul's writing again to people he hasn't met. So you can receive this letter as somebody Paul has never met. And he's going to give you some clues uh, to what we ought to focus on. And typically, we as Christians do a pretty normal routine. You meet Christ and you're really on fire. When you meet Christ for the first time and he changes things and he reorients things, we we get excited, don't we? 
And, and we, we've seen that here where people get saved and they, they serve, 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 and then go, ugh. <laughs> and, and it happens. But we move from Christ saved me and we start to, and a subtle shift takes place because what happens is at the beginning, it's all about what Christ did for me. And then this subtle shift takes place and it becomes more about what I do for Christ. Focus of the Christian life is what Jesus has done for you, not what you can do for Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean we never make it over to this side and do anything. That's called laziness, <laughs> and that is a sin, all right? So that's not what I'm saying, but what I'm saying is that's not the focus. The focus, the center of interest in America don't make sense. Or even if they make sense intellectually because we're reading the Bible and we know we should feel that way, uh, they might make sense in that sense, but there's certainly at a minimum things we're not comfortable with. Okay, so, so let's read the first part here. Let's start in Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. Paul says this, now. So if you're a, if you're a highlighter, uh, circle that word now and put an arrow back to what we've already studied. Okay, because everything we've studied is important. We just came through uh, some huge Christological statements. And that's just a fancy way of saying it's all about Jesus. Everything flows from the center, the preeminence of Christ. So that's what that now comes from. But Paul says this, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. How many of us live in that lane? How many of us run in that lane? To where we would reminisce about the glory of Jesus and say, I love suffering for you. That is not normal. And I want to suggest to you that if the focus of your faith is what you can do for Jesus, that will burn you out faster than you can spell it. Because that's not the way it was designed. You don't get there by focusing on you and what you can do. Think about it this way. If you, if, you, if you want to, flip back to Acts chapter 9 because that uh, comes from a statement that Jesus made to the guy who had to go lay hands on the Apostle Paul who was at that time uh, Saul and he was a terrible human being. But uh, Acts chapter 9, let me make sure I get the right verse here. Acts chapter 9. Let's do verse 4 and then 16. Listen to this. Acts chapter 9, verse 4. And falling to the ground, this is Saul, who would become Paul, the author of Colossians. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So Saul was persecuting Christians. Okay? That was the genesis of who we see what would later become the Apostle Paul. And it's important because when you drop down to verse 14, uh, or 16, sorry, listen to what Jesus says. So the conversion happens. So, so Saul gets knocked off his horse. He was on his way to, to murder and persecute Christians. God knocks him off his horse, blinds him, sends him to a, a house on Straight Street. And uh, he's just sitting there for three days, blind, bewildered, 
And all he knows is he, he, he met God. That's all he knows. That's all he's got. And Jesus goes to a guy named Ananias and says, I need you to go lay hands on this guy and disciple him, basically. And Ananias is like, not going to happen. You, have you, I know you're God, but have you not heard of this guy? I'm not going over there. And in typical fashion, God's like, actually you are. And Ananias went, okay. But we get a key to why Paul wrote what he wrote in Colossians. Why could he write, I rejoice in my suffering for you? Jesus just said, Paul or Saul, why are you persecuting me? Was Saul persecuting Jesus? Did he drag Jesus out of heaven? Because Jesus had just ascended not too long before this. Did he drag Jesus out of heaven and start beating him? You can say, no. So why did Jesus say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Because the church is the body of Christ. And when the church is persecuted, Jesus is persecuted. And that's important because here's what the assignment is going to go. For he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And then here it is. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Paul rejoices in his suffering because it's what he was designed for. He was chosen by God to suffer great things for Christ. I wonder if you sit here today and you would find more fulfillment in life if you recognized that you were called, John chapter 15, verse 18 to 21, to suffer for Christ. John 15, 18 to 21 says that when you are persecuted for Christ's sake, remember that they hated him first. And when they hate you, they hate him. You are the body of Christ. And so this is happening here. And Paul is saying, I rejoice in my sufferings because I'm fulfilling what God has called me to do. I'm running in the lane that he's called me to do. And why is that so important? Let's keep reading. Why, why, why was he feeling so good about suffering? He says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I thought this was heresy in the Bible when I first read it this week. In my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. I'm like, the the cross, we sang today, the cross has the final word. We don't need anything else, Paul. I know you wrote Romans, but we're not lacking. What is he talking about? For the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. To make the word of God fully known. You are where you are. And you are going through what you are going through. Because you are part of the body of Christ. And then I realized that. In America we are far more poverty stricken. Because of our wealth. Than those in other countries. I've gotten to travel quite a bit. And I'll never forget being in, in Ethiopia. For picking up Malachi. To bring him home. And just the joy, the sheer joy of not being stressed out all the time. They're like, oh, I'll be there around four. I'm like at eight, they'd show up. You're like, <laughs> they're like, what's that? <laughs> they're like, dude, you need to chill out. <laughs> I'm like, I know, I know. 
and their lattes were a quarter. So it was like, it was very close to heaven there. (laughs) It's a good deal if you don't drink coffee. I want to combat the thinking today that your performance for Christ is the most important. You don't, you don't fall into this desire to suffer for Christ unless the central interest or activity of your Christian faith is Jesus. You don't fall into this. Because Paul says that I'm, all of this happens to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. What is this mystery? I love this. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. What is the mystery? Which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. Oh, man, you guys are dead. You should be cheering. If you cheer at football games and you aren't cheering now, you got a problem. <laughs> I know, now you feel guilty. I'm not supposed to do that. I love that. Paul is pointing out to this. and It's never an accident that he makes it multi-ethnic. Have you noticed that? It's all over the New Testament. That he's, he's talking about this mystery of Christ being in you. And he makes a point to say it's for all people of all nations that make up the body of Christ. I love that. The multi-ethnic church. To them, God chose to make known how great the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And then what's the job connected to that? This is where we can't check out. What's the job connected to that? Circle that next phrase in your Bible because that's important. So we get this hope of glory. And then we're given a job. Him we proclaim. Right? Him we proclaim. And then listen to this. Warning everyone and teaching everyone. With all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. How do you present everyone mature in Christ? That's it. That's it. We don't do that very well in church. Most of the time we say, have you stopped smoking? Have you stopped? And you fill in the blank. Whatever it is. We're really good at that, aren't we? Well, we we real we do that. It doesn't say anything about chasing Christians. I should say longtime Christians like myself squirm. We can't help it. You you might in your soul right now feel this uneasiness, but it's because we've added to the gospel. It's because we've added to the gospel. Paul says in Galatians, continue to walk as you began in Christ. Man, him we proclaim 
And he goes farther there. Did you notice that? He says, I'm warning everyone. It's him we proclaim. It's him we proclaim. It's him we proclaim. Because why? Because we, we get off that track so fast and we start to say, but if you do that better, if you do that better, God would love you more. And we may not say God would love you more, but that's what we mean and that's what we feel. And if I do that and I do this, God's mad at me. God already knew you were going to do that. That's not an excuse to do that. And you should confess and repent. And repentance is turning and doing a different thing. But not so that God will love you more. But because God loves you the most. Huge difference. Huge difference. So he says, I'm warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil. So you are allowed to work, Christian. You following me? You are allowed to work. But work for the right thing. For this I toil, struggling with all whose energy? His energy. His energy. If you're tired, you might be doing it in your energy. I struggle with his energy that he powerfully works in me. It's about his performance in you and through you, not your performance for him. That's the focus of our faith. It's about his performance, not my performance. So the first part is what is the focus of the Christian faith? And the focus of the Christian faith is that we struggle with his energy. That is powerfully at work in us. That is how we do what we do. We do it because he's preeminent. He's King Jesus last week. And we do it in his power. We talk a lot around here about, you know, if God said his burden is light and his yoke is easy, why doesn't it feel that way? Because we don't do that. And we don't do that because we think we've got to try harder to make that happen. But we can't make it happen because only he can make it happen. So that's where the Bible says, that's why we interpret the Bible in the Bible, with the Bible. Because if it's not easy, where did I go wrong? We focus on him. We love him. We spend time with him. And we stay there. So then, what does a mature Christian look like? Right? Because wh- wh- how, do I know, how do I know if I'm, if I'm just reveling in Jesus and being made mature, being clothed in Christ? What, what, what does that look like? And, and we, we get a barometer here in chapter 2 at the beginning. We get the Christian selfie. All right? Look at verse 1. He, here, here's what Paul says, for I want you to know. I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. You fall into that category. That their hearts, look, here, here we go, that their hearts, what did Paul want all of that stuff he just said to do? That your heart would be encouraged not condemned. I mean, if Jesus said, I did not come into the world to condemn the world, why did we? I'm just going to leave that with you. Right there. 
that their hearts may be encouraged. Not beat up, not beat down, not drugged through the mud. We're good at that already. He says that their heart may be encouraged. And then what? Being knit together in love. To reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. What does that mean? That means that I could take the Bible and make plausible arguments of why you need to work harder. I could. I could. It's really easy. You just take some stuff out, like you just take Ephesians 2.10. You were created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Get to work, you lazy bums. (laughs) You could do that. But we all know Ephesians 2.8 and 9 sits right there with it. There are plausible arguments. But I would encourage you, always look in the context. Because without fail, the imperatives are always connected to the promises. That God's grace is never far from those imperatives in the Bible. This is what maturity looks like. Encouraged, being knit together in love to reach the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. That's maturity. Verse 5 then. For though I am absent in the body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and what? The firmness of your work ethic in Christ. Is that what it says? That's not what it says. What does it say? The firmness of your faith in Christ. That's it. And then I love verse 6. I didn't even put it on the screen. I just want you to listen to it. And we'll study it next week. But it says, therefore. You can always ask, what's the therefore? Therefore. Because we just did all of that stuff. He says, this is what maturity looks like. And then what does he say? Same thing he says in Galatians. He says it here to the Colossians. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. You received him in, oh my goodness, that's free. Walk that way. Walk that way. Paul's rejoicing in his suffering so that he could present them mature in Christ. And he says the maturity you're looking for is the firmness of your faith in Jesus Christ. The focus of your faith is not your performance for him. It's his performance for you. And what you'll find is the more you focus on his performance for you, the more your performance will do for him. But if you get that backwards, you're going to be frustrated. You're going to be tired. And it just doesn't work. Because it's not about you. I told you last week, God shares his grace, but not his glory. If it's about your performance, you're trying to steal the glory. You're trying to look for the pat on the back. And Isaiah told us that God doesn't share that. But he does share his grace. And he wants to give it to you. Let's pray together. Father, as we consider your ways, I pray today that 
as we sing this song together, that Holy Spirit, you would move into the hearts of your people. That once again, we would taste and see that you are good. Not that life is easy, not that it's devoid of suffering, but that in our suffering, we can rejoice knowing that you're enough. I pray, Holy Spirit, that as we listen to your voice this morning, through the pages of your holy word, that you would remind us of when we met you. And that it's in that same joy that we are to walk. Remind us what the focus of our faith is. That it's your performance, not ours. And that you would encourage our hearts today. And that as a result of that encouragement, your people would be knit together in love. Holy Spirit, I also ask if there's anybody in this room that walked in here this morning thinking they knew you or not even wanting to know you, but that today, through the power of your word, you would draw them to yourself. That they would, for the first time, taste and see that you're good. That you took their place and you took their punishment on your shoulders and offered them life. And that there's no better place to be. Why don't you stand with me? We're going to sing this for a little bit and then I'll come back up. But I just want you to think about the words that we're singing and how they flow from the pages of God's word. What what he had to say about you, not what you have to say about you, not what the people around you have to say about you, but what he had to say about you. And be encouraged today by his word. Be encouraged by that so that we could be knit together. I love that, that God's church would be knit together in love for each other. What an amazing thing. And uh, God's doing that here, and I'm so grateful for that. And uh, that's attractive. And so let's sing this together and just worship Jesus this morning.